This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of March 16, 2015, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 219 of Defender Radio. We're all about raccoons this week, now that spring is on the way. And some horrific news arose out of White Rock, British Columbia. As the weather warms, albeit a little too slowly for some of us here in Ontario, the behavior of our wild neighbors will also be changing. Primarily, they'll be looking for safe places to raise their newborn family members. Raccoons and squirrels seem to like our homes. They are, after all, warm and safe. But the presence of raccoons and squirrels, including their young, can be a hazard for homeowners. Canada's leading humane wildlife removal expert, Brad Gates, will join us to discuss the ins and outs of home safety with wildlife in the spring. But it's not all good news this week. As documented through our blogs and social media, a single raccoon caught in not one, but two leg hold traps in the quiet city of White Rock has created an outcry. Frank Goff, the man who first witnessed the suffering animal and brought it to the attention of the media, will join us to discuss what he saw and what the future holds for wildlife in White Rock. Let's get started. The beautiful community of White Rock was shocked this month when news arose of a local raccoon who has been severely injured by multiple leg hole traps. The story was first published by the Peace Arch News, but quickly caught the attention of media juggernauts like the CBC and Global. The story began when Frank Goff, a White Rock resident, saw something strange with a raccoon that frequented his beachside yard. He joined Defender Radio for an in-depth interview on the story and what he hopes will happen next. Could you tell me a bit about the wildlife in White Rock that you would regularly see? Well, basically, uh, it depends again where you live, and we're located on down on the beach. Uh, when I say on the beach, uh, we live probably about 100 feet above the beach in White Rock, and uh, there, there is a... Uh, a wooded area or a bush area between us and the beach. And so traditionally, when we first moved to this location years ago, we used to see a lot of rabbits, possums, raccoons, squirrels, and such. And the, you do see the odd coyote up a little you know, farther inland than where we are. They seem to like a little more grassy areas. But over the last few years, um, I haven't seen a possum or a rabbit probably in 10 years where we used to have any number of them. And uh, but we do have a lot of squirrels and of course um, a lot of raccoons and uh, a lot of eagles of course because it's, you know we're right on the ocean so there's salmon and such out there. Those and, must be incredible to watch on a daily basis. Oh yes, yeah, they are, and uh, and it and it's been great over the last probably 30 years that we've lived here that there's been an increased number in the number of eagles and such that you do see here. And of course you have a lot of migratory birds that come through here too as far as a lot of, uh, you know, ducks and Canadian geese and such like that and loons that you'll see out on the ocean. But, uh, you know, the area has certainly developed. It's one of the faster growing areas in probably Canada out here, you know, the South Surrey White Rock area. So there's been a lot of growth, a lot of development, um, a lot of, you know, the treed and wooded areas have been, you know, 
cleared and subdivided and such. And so the habitat has been shrinking and um, it, that has caused some of the uh, coyotes in the area to move around a little bit. And we had a little bit of a coyote problem a few years ago down on the beach here, which isn't traditionally their territory. They don't seem to like wooded areas too much or bush areas. They kind of cleaned out a lot of, um, seemed a lot of the rabbits and, and possums because we haven't seen any in probably five or six years. Yeah, it's often what happens uh, when coyote behavior changes. It's typically because of a change in their environment. Uh, in my hometown, we saw the exact same thing happen as development was going on in a lot of fielded kind of off the highway type areas that had been traditionally good areas for coyotes. All of a sudden, they were pushing into ravines where they previously hadn't been seen. Um, but the uh, the smaller mammals will bounce back with time. Uh, but that brings us to the raccoons. Uh, so d could you describe what you saw? Uh, I guess it was around two weeks ago now. Um, well, no, it was a little more than that originally. Uh, back, it, it was kind of in, in February, uh, about the first week of February. We have, a, this, uh, we have a number of raccoons that come up and down. Uh, we have a path at the beach, so they come up and down and kind of go through our yard. It's a little easier access for them and rather than going up and down the steep terrain and some of the other properties. So you know, we have the opportunity to see a few more of them coming and going. And this raccoon uh, has been around for a period of time, and she had two uh, young cubs or kits, whatever you want to call them, uh, that were born very late last year. And um, she was very tiny, and the kits were very tiny in October, November, winter was coming. And so we assist them, rightly or wrongly, and we, you know, put up some food for her. And that we're worried that neither of the three of them would make it through the winter, being the size and such. So she's been around for a while. And, um, and in February, um, she showed up on the back deck with her two young, younger ones that would probably be about six months old, five months old at the time. And um, she had a leg hole trap on her left front foot. Now the trap wasn't a uh, a large one like you see, like a like a miniature bear trap, but it was about five inches by well three inches, uh, heavy metal spring on it, and she was banging around. She could still get around with it on her front foot, but uh, at that point we contacted a few of the local areas, critic care and such, to see if there's something we could do. And they suggested trying to trap her, of course. So we spent probably a couple of weeks trying to trap her, but she was so leery of going anywhere near the trap with this on her foot. And then after about a three-week period, we couldn't catch her. She'd come by probably every second night, and you know we would feed her because she was losing weight rapidly. Um, the trap was gone, but either she the paw had fallen off, or she'd knotted off, or she, Sometimes apparently they will twist it to break it off. And so she was on three legs, still with her two kits. And, um, but she seemed to be, to get around okay. She was, you know, very skittish and um, seemed to be healthy enough other than, you know, she was a little awkward for her walking. And we, we thought at that time, well, maybe this, you know, she'll be fine. She'll be able to survive here on three legs if we assist her now and again by putting a little food out for her. Uh, we had gone away for a few, for about uh, two weeks, and we had a host sitter that, you know, was keeping an eye on her if she showed up, which he would do on our back deck. And then when we got home um, a week ago Monday, 
she showed up on Monday with a identical trap on her hind left foot. And of all the raccoons we've seen and wildlife, we've never seen any traps. The first trap we thought might have just been a one-off that had been left from the years or who knows. But to have a second one within a short period of time indicates that somebody has to be putting them out somewhere around here. Although she is the only raccoon that we have seen with a trap on her. And uh, to have two of them on in a period of a month, is, it's kind of disturbing. Absolutely. I think disturbing might be a light word for it. Yeah, and at this point, she could hardly get around uh, to the point where I had a fishnet and I was sure that I could catch her with, you know, a, a fishnet if she came up on the deck that I could, you know, basically surprise her and catch her and, and, and remove the trap. But she is just so weary and um, with her other two younger uh, cubs or kits with her, uh, they could hear me coming or, you know, I couldn't really surprise her. I came very close uh, one time to catching her, but she got away onto the deck. And um, they were, of course, here in the evening and it's dark, so it's not like you can, even with a flashlight, the way the deck is set up is rather large. You know, if I go in one end, she's out the other. So we were unable to catch her, and then eventually um, she just showed up uh, last week on her own. It seems that her two uh, cubs uh, have abandoned her, and so she spent, we'd come by kind of late in the evening. Again, we were unable to catch her. We have three traps set up. Critic here has assisted us with one trap, a local animal enthusiast has lent us one, and we, of course, went out and bought one but we haven't been able to catch her and we haven't seen her now in about six days, which is kind of unusual. Uh, she may be coming later at night. I don't know. Um, you know, if she may be coming at, in the middle of the night, uh, the odd time, but um, none of the traps have been sprung other than by our cats. And uh, we're kind of worried that something may have happened to her. Now, were you, were, you, were you aware that leg hole traps were still legal in Canada when you first saw this? Well, no, I was shocked until I made some inquiries. And then it turns out that um, there's been a bit of a program going on, I guess, to, you know, have them outlawed or eliminated. And uh, But what was amazing, we went online to try to identify where you could buy these type of traps. And I couldn't believe the number that are offered for sale online. And um, we've kind of... A, identified in a, a very similar looking one and it's also as little as as about ten dollars that you can order over the internet now I, you know i i have talked to the uh in some of the societies and they say that there's certain municipalities in the lower mainland here and on the gulf islands that the local municipalities have banned lake hole traps but unfortunately they're not enforceable because it's a municipal um, pardon me a, a provincial uh, ruling and yeah so the uh the interesting thing we've actually been working on that uh, with many of those municipalities um is they've chosen to say that under the municipal act uh they have the authority to modify and regulate activities regarding wildlife within their community similar to how an urban area can put in place a, a gun uh, discharge bylaw um so it's 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 kind of sitting in an awkward spot right now because these municipalities have said we don't want these things this is the authority under which we're doing it 
and some of them are looking for approval from uh, the ministry. And you are correct, the ministry has been sitting for two years thinking about this. Um, and it's very likely that the uh, the fur industry and the trapping lobbies have been uh, working very, very hard to prevent it. Um, but when people see what you've seen, they very quickly realize whatever you want to call these traps, they're not humane. Um, and did you know that those traps are actually considered humane by the government of Canada? Well, I mean, yeah, that's the insanity of if you ever saw this. I mean, as you say, even the most hardened individual, you know, couldn't help but be moved. Uh, it's to see these animals suffer like day after day and hobble around. And I mean, it, it is tragic. It's not like it would, you know, if you would try to dispose of them to kill them quickly or anything. They, I mean, they were suffering. And to be in a situation where they possibly have to twist or gnaw their foot off is, I mean, it's, yeah, it's quite disturbing. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's shocking when, when people realize what happens. Uh, and this is legal all over the country. Um, and uh, we uh, actually try and track the incidents involving dogs and cats getting caught in these. Uh, the problem is there's no requirement or incentive to report that. So we only find out when the owner finds out and contacts either us or the local media, which then pops up when we search for it. Um, and that's how we found out about this case, too, was um, Sarah Massa from the uh, Peace Arch News had written about it. And uh, since then, we've offered a reward for information, $1,000, leading to the identification and conviction of the individuals responsible. Um, and what has been the reaction of your community to this news, to the, to the reward we've offered, to everything going on? Well, I, you know, I've talked to a number of my neighbors and, and of course they're all a little stunned, or, uh, that something like that would be happening. I've had a number of phone calls, uh, from different individuals, you know, telling me their situations and stories and what they have seen. We had a high school, uh, uh, a teacher up in Delta that had heard about this and she had her students make up a number of posters that we could put up on telephone poles, you know, with a picture of a raccoon and such. So the response has been, you know, I, I'm surprised. I was surprised that the Peace Arch News took it uh, into heart. I mean, it was on the front page two issues in a row. And, um, and apparently they've had any number of calls as well. So the community seems to, you know, rally around it. Um, you know, kind of where we live, it, it's, um, there's not, a, uh, there's only homes on either side and across the street. And so there's not a lot of local neighbors and a lot of them are away for the winter. You know, so I've been knocking on the odd doors just to see if anybody could assist us if they see anything and such. And everybody's pretty horrified when they hear this because it, most people do have dogs or children or uh, in our case, we have, you know, four cats. So, you know, we do have concerns. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm amazed at the response we've been getting. And um, it hasn't been overwhelming, though, that, you know, I've got people out searching the beach areas and such like that. I, we have gone up and down our trail, searched our yards. Uh, my neighbor to the left who's building his house right now, we've gone over his property as well. We've walked the, the beach area down in front of our house looking to see if we can find anything. But it's not like, you know, we've had... 15, 20 people want to come out and scour the neighborhood. <laughs> well, if the raccoon doesn't want to be found, um, I don't think it matters how many people you put on the case. They are uh, rather sneaky like that. But it is amazing, though, when somebody sees us. We had a, a dinner party um, a week ago Friday, and, and I we had um, 
three couples over and you discuss it with them and they all, you know, kind of, oh yeah, and raccoon. The raccoon did show up and everybody was horrified. Uh, it, you know, and uh, to the point where they were calling me two days later to see if anything had happened. And these are some of the people don't live in the area. So it, it, it's, it, it's something I think you almost have to have it right in your face to really feel the impact of, you know, what, what this does. And, and, um, I just wish I could get some, you know, pictures or, uh, a, you know, a video of it. And, um, I'm sure we could get it aired, but she has just been a little elusive and you never know when she's coming. And as soon as I try to get close to her, she's very skittish, which she wasn't a year ago or, you know, last fall when, you know, we would, we were trying to assist them, uh, with the condition they were in, trying to make sure they survived through the winter, we could get, you know, a little close. Not that we were trying to, but, you know, if we put food out for her, she would come up while we were still on the deck, but not now. If she even sees us looking out the window, she runs for cover. Yeah, yeah. Well, one option might be to uh, put out uh, trail cams. And after uh, we've completed the interview, I'll uh, I'll shoot out a few emails and see if we might be able to help with that. Um, now, what what would you like to see happen next? I mean, clearly you want this raccoon helped. Um, would you support a, a ban in the community on these traps? Oh, certainly, yeah, without a doubt. As I said, I, I think, you know, there's a number of people now that um, that are going to lead the way here. Uh, I, I've already spoke to one lady that has written to council twice, and she's uh, trying to make an appointment to get together with the mayor and council to, you know, to draft some legislation for the city of White Rock that banning any type of lake hole traps or uh, and such, and, and that's when they find the frustration is even if they were saying, even if they do con convince the city to go ahead and do something along this line, that it necessarily isn't enforceable unless the provincial government gets on side. Well, and it's interesting, uh, one of our concepts is that the more municipalities sign on, um, the more likely it is the province is going to allow this uh, enforcement to occur, because right now it would be up to bylaw officials. Um, by law enforcement officers to uh, to pursue these incidents, but uh, I think it's very clear that the general public is opposed to these. It's it's pretty clear that municipalities are voicing concerns. Uh, although as of late, the British Columbia government has had a, a bit of a miscommunication with the public on wildlife, but uh, hopefully that will be resolved. Um, and uh, would you like to say anything? I mean, other communities throughout. British Columbia and across the country are looking at these issues as well. What would you want them to know based on your experience? Basically, even if you're not, let's say, I don't want to say a humanitarian because that's maybe not the right word, but, you know, an animal lover, such like that, that, you know, what has happened here is dangerous for young children, for dogs, for cats, other, you know, wild creatures that may not be a nuisance in some circumstances. But I think if you want to organize it and, uh, and get a group together, I mean, these should be banned. I mean, it, it is a horrific to sit there and watch an animal hobbling around with their foot and such gone. Uh, but I, I don't think it would take much for everyone to, you know, approach the city council and get something done here. I'm hoping we can put a group together. I know a number of the council members, because White Rock's a small, you know, small city, and uh, dis discuss it with them. Uh, everybody thinks they've got more pressing, you know, pressing issues than this. But I mean, it is something that um, 
it does affect the livability of your area. You don't want to sit around and watch animals suffering and such like that. And it is dangerous. Let's, let's face it. We have a lot of people who walk their dogs, run their dogs on the beach and such like that. And uh, they're all exposed. To get involved and sign the petition the Fur Bears have created for the city of White Rock, visit FurBearDefenders.com. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. I am Brad Gates, owner of Gates Wildlife Control. Do you have raccoons or squirrels living in your attic? Did you know that the hole in your roof is letting water in? Your insulation is being ruined and they could be chewing on your electrical wiring? Protect your biggest investment. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit our website at gateswildlifecontrol.com or dial 416-750-9453. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America's song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing keystone species. Beaver dams help clean water, promote songbird diversity, encourage fish populations, and create better soil and a cleaner environment. Beavers are good for Canada, but will we be good to them? Find out more at furbearerdefenders.com and give a damn about beavers. This is Defender Radio. Spring is in the air mostly. And though many of us in Ontario are whining about the ongoing presence of snow and temperatures hovering just around the freezing mark, the wild animals are on the move. Furry species like raccoons and squirrels are getting ready to welcome their young into the world, and many of them find nice nursing spots in our homes. Brad Gates, owner of Gates AAA Wildlife Control, is Canada's leading expert on the humane removal of wildlife, and joined Defender Radio to discuss what we need to know as homeowners and share some simple tips to prevent our walls and attics from becoming nurseries for wildlife. What can we be expecting from raccoons and squirrels this time of year? The type of calls that we're receiving um, at this time of the year are homeowners hearing uh, the murmuring or the chittering of baby raccoons in the attic. Now, not all female raccoons have given birth, but um, a number of them have. We did have a warm spell um, back in uh, Jan- early January where we were getting reports of uh, what homeowners describe as a murder going on in the attic, <laughs> which is actually the male pursuing the female, and this has to go on for a number of days before she'll accept them. And they, they get into real, real fisticuffs. Um, so if we go back 63 days, that's why I expect uh, we'll see more babies in, in the coming weeks. Um, with respect to squirrels, they also give birth, uh, start to give birth at this time. But um, what uh, what happens with respect to squirrels is, is they lay with their babies, and their babies are quiet. So we tend to get a bit of a lull in our squirrel business at this time of the year. 
until the babies get big enough, which would be a month or, or six weeks from now. So that's, yeah, I guess that covers off the, the two main species. Uh, and how about bats? They're, I know, one of the other big ones that you'll deal a lot with, particularly if we're talking about attics and uh, upper floors of a home. Are they up and around yet this time of year? They can, depending on if we get warm days that uh, approach, you know, plus 5, plus 10 degrees, they'll start to move, even though they shouldn't be coming outside. But what they're trying to do is they're trying not to warm up too much because they don't want to come out of hibernation because they'll end up using up valuable fat reserves. So they, they want to find a, a temperature gradient um, generally below 5 degrees Celsius so they can stay in that hibernation state. But if they do warm up too much, if they, they chose to come too far into the building where um, the building itself is warming up their body temperature, then they may pop out into the basement of a home and start flying around. So we do get uh, a number of calls at this time of the year to have to go out and capture a bat flying around a bed in the middle of the night. Now, now talking about the babies of raccoons and squirrels, um, why is it important for people to recognize that they're there? Um, and again, I, I would think, you know, you just got a couple of little babies hanging out. There's no reason to be concerned. But what kind of issues can come up by having those babies in an attic or in the walls of a house? Well, from a homeowner's perspective, they often... The first thought is, I can solve this myself. And they tend to not readily accept the fact that there may be babies, and they'll go up and, and simply close off the, the entry hole and think that they've solved the problem simply because they see the adult female on the outside desperately trying to get back in when, in fact, um, she's trying to get back in because her babies are, are in there and she wants to get at them. Um Having the, the babies in the attic, aside from homeowners trying to solve their own problems, is it, not necessarily um, a big deal when they're first born because the mother isn't roaming the attic. She's not damaging the insulation. She's spending all her time focusing on raising those young and feeding them, especially when she's out all night. First thing she does when she comes in is goes right to them, lays with them, keeps them, warms them up because they've obviously cooled down a bit being in the attic. It's not, not as warm as it is in the house. So during that period of time, there's, there's not a lot going on um, that homeowners need to worry about. But at the same time, they're get, every day they're getting bigger. And when they do get their land legs and start to move about inside the attic, that's when the real damage does occur. So as soon as, in my mind, having seen the damage that they can cause, um, a homeowner should the very first opportunity when they realize they have a wildlife problem because they may be able to nip it in the bud before the babies are born and that's that's the best scenario possible is to see Victor let her go to another den site and, and give birth somewhere else um, and it's, it's less just it's less stress on her as well and, and sometimes less costly depending on where she puts the babies so um, yeah it's, it's always good solve the problem immediately uh, re reduce the amount of damage that uh, is going to be caused there's always initial damage in, in the entry hole um, on the roof itself. It needs to be repaired, but the longer they're in there, um, the more money it's going to cost you to put it back together. Okay, and, and speaking of that, um, once an animal is in the home, we, we've gone over this many times before, it's very important for them to contact a professional to come in because you're going to know what to look for, you're going to know how to keep them out again. But what can people be doing to prevent wildlife from getting in now that spring is on the way? 
Yeah, if, it, if homeowners don't actively have a problem um, and they want to take steps to prevent them from ever getting the problem, the, the first thing they should look at is easy access onto the roof. Animals are opportunistic. They're going to take the, the quickest, simplest way to get up onto a rooftop, and that generally involves trees that overhang, um, maybe um, ledges of tops of fences that come close to lower rooftops. Um, so if, 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 if the homeowner can, can look at their, their house and identify the easy access points, and if it involves trimming back trees, um, maybe cladding uh, a fence post with uh, aluminum so that the animal can't get a grip on it to climb up, that's ideal. That's the first line of defense. And then from that, um, the most common point of entry that we see is the, the roof fence, and with home, with roofers is now installing plastic roof fence, it's become more common than ever. So those types of situations need to be screened so that the animals can't get their claws and teeth into the plastic and, and end up opening them up. Um, and then there are other uh, components, such as the plumbing vent mat, which is just a rubber mat that raccoons and squirrels will tear through and there's an existing hole under that mat that they can exploit to get into the attic, so that can also be screened. So yeah, to have um, to have a professional come out and assess the house for the uh, the components on the roof that may cause problems down the road is a good idea, and you're going to save uh, a lot of money in the long run, not having to pay for removal, not having to pay to have the insulation redone, um, you can have chewed wires, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly good advice for any homeowner to take proactive steps to prevent the problem before it happens. To learn more about Brad or get in touch for his services, visit GatesWildlifeControl.com. That's the show for this week, folks. I'd like to thank Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control for his ongoing support of this show and all of you for joining us this week. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for the Fur Bears, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.